Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Well, good morning. It's Thursday, and so if it's Thursday, it's P.I.'s Declassified. Welcome to the show. And I'm very excited today to introduce you to uh, my guest, David L. Myers. Hi, Dave. Hi, Francie. How are you today? I'm great. I thank you so much for being on the show. I'm excited about talking about this, um, your article that just appeared in PI Magazine. And those of you that are uh, listening, if you don't get PI Magazine, they're one of our very valuable sponsors, Jim Nanos and Nicole Cusinelli, who uh, operate that magazine. And this was just in the most recent issue. So if you're interested in learning more about our topic, which is investigating brain injury cases, uh, please get a hold of the PI Magazine if you're not a subscriber. So, welcome to the show, David. This is uh, such an interesting topic for me. Um, So, I am very interested in hearing uh, what you have to say more about it. So, but Well, thank you. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I would say it's a subject I've uh, been involved with for many years now, and one of the things that I uh, enjoy investigating because we can generally get some good results for our clients to help make their long-term recovery or care easier. Exactly. And um, before we get into that, I'm, I'm curious about how you got in investigation, what your background was. Well, I had graduated from uh, the University of Indianapolis in 2000, or I'm sorry, 1995, rather, uh, with a criminology degree, and then went into investigations for attorneys. Originally, I was going to go into law enforcement. I had been a reserve police officer and had done that for about 25 years, but I wanted to be my own boss, and... I knew some attorneys that were looking for an investigator, so I began developing my skills and training in in that area and decided to specialize just in civil investigations. And so I've been doing that since mid-95. I did get out of the business for a little while, sold my company, and I decided to acquire some other businesses, but I I have come back to investigations in the past few years and find that that's really the the field I enjoy the most. So, Dave, some of our listeners might be interested um, in comparing, in your comparison between working for a law firm as a staff investigator and working as a private investigator on your own. What are the differences in that? Well, right now I work for... Oh, approximately a dozen law firms, uh, three or four primarily, uh, that keep me busy. The There are benefits of being a staff investigator. I have a good friend that works for a large uh, personal injury firm, and uh, he doesn't really have to worry about 
health insurance and paid time off and (laughs) a lot of these other things. (laughs) So there are certainly some benefits, but I enjoy being able to pick and choose my clients. I I enjoy the clients I have. They're, They're very aggressive and fair law firms. They're not out there just taking every, every little case and uh, they're out there really working hard for people. And, and I like to work with those types of folks and, and certainly people that are Christian based. Uh, I just, I find that they generally are, are very ethical, moral centered people that uh-huh. uh, aren't afraid to go out there and work hard for their clients. So I'm I'm just curious personally. Um, when you're working for a law firm, are you are you fairly independent in your investigation, or are you completely directed by the law firm, or does it depend on the firm? I think in the beginning, when I bring on a new law firm, or rather, they bring me on as a, as a consultant for their investigative work, I I believe that there's always a development of trust there. So in the beginning, I, I find that the law firm does dictate a lot of, we want you to do this entire list of items. As the relationship progresses, though, I find that attorneys will generally just call me on the fly sometimes, say, I've, I've got this case, I just met with the client, or or in some cases, I need you to go meet with the client. Um and they'll leave it up to me because of that trust factor. And even if they do give me a list of things they want, my job is to to expand on that during the course of the investigation. If I see that um, there's something else that needs to be done that's going to benefit the case um, or perhaps something else that, that I know the attorney is going to eventually ask me for, I take it upon myself to go ahead and do that because I don't want to submit a report or come back to the attorney and have them ever ask me, why didn't you do that? It was something that was there that should have been done. And I've never had an attorney get upset at me for going the extra mile for them or their client. And how does that compare, Dave, to working as an employee staff attorney, a staff investigator for a law firm? What are the differences? Well, I've never worked as a staff attorney for an investigator, but having talked with this friend of mine a lot, um, I would say his experience has been very much similar to mine in that they know what needs to be done. The attorneys have come to trust that inside investigator and let's go out and let you investigate the case either with more supervision or less depending on that trust level as it grows over time. Um, The biggest difference between a staff investigator and and someone like myself is, is going to be that set salary every week or every two weeks and you're probably going to get a take-home car and and benefits, whereas I am very much, my income very much is related to how many cases I get per day, per week, per month, and 
how complex those cases are. So I find I have to do a very good job of cash flow management and ensuring that I'm available to handle these big cases that present themselves every so often. And, and that, I think, is the biggest thing, one of the biggest things that I owe my clients is, is if I know that this is going to take 40, 60 hours of my work straight or it's going to just dominate my time, I either need to bring in someone to assist me or inform the attorney that, you know, I may or may not be able to handle that case. Uh, I have never had to say that to an attorney yet, but I have had to bring in other people to help me. So Mm -hmm. I think a staff investigator, if they don't have any subordinates helping them, that could be a little bit of a difficulty because I don't know if they're able to bring on outside investigators for those really large involved cases. So, Dave, I must apologize. I must have misunderstood you initially. The reason I'm asking these questions is because I thought you said that you were a staff investigator for a law firm initially. So I must have misunderstood you. Oh, certainly. No problem. No, I'm not. I I work for several law firms, but it's as a 1099 contractor. Uh, I got it. Okay. My apologies. I I sent you down the wrong uh, path there. Um, at, at any rate, so um, so at this point, you've been licensed a licensed investigator in Indiana for how many years? Uh, just about twenty three years. Yeah, yeah. Good, good experience under your belt. So, um, how have you made investigating brain injury injuries a specialty for your firm? I generally handle moderate to catastrophic injury cases, and those sometimes involve a brain injury or mild uh, traumatic brain injury, other times not. But I'm always looking for that because I find even though someone may have had quote-unquote minor injuries and then automobile accident because the the police officer, the paramedics are always real quick to, to, they don't see anybody with a broken arm or a compound fracture. They're they're quick to say no injuries. Mm -hmm. And that's just rarely the case. And as I'm talking to the clients, um, generally I'm asking them some questions that are directly relevant to the case. But a lot of times I'm also asking them, Questions like, how were you living your life before this accident? How has this impacted your, your current life? Um, how are your, your relationships at work and with family and friends? Because some of these questions are designed to test them a little bit. And I'm looking for some differences. And perhaps they may say, well, you know, I used to get along with everybody real well, but now I'm just always frustrated or... I have a lot of headaches all the time, and those can be indicators of a brain injury. And and attorneys are busy, and where they may have some good initial contact with a client, um, I need to make sure, based on my interactions with that client, that if I believe there may be some some 
unvisible or non-visible rather uh, injuries there that might involve the brain. I need to bring that to the attorney so we can perhaps expand our investigation a little bit. So typically the law firm has has contacted you because they uh, suspect a traumatic brain injury or does it come about because you are meeting with somebody and you think there's a problem? Generally, the latter. Uh, I do work for uh, a very well-respected traumatic brain injury uh, attorney, and he's known nationwide. He's based here in Indianapolis, and um, generally when he calls, it is a brain injury case. It's a catastrophic injury or death case, but most of the times I find that when I start getting an inkling that someone may have a brain injury or a mild brain injury, that it's not really presented itself before. And that may be simply because of our healthcare system, uh, treat them and street them. Uh, you may have heard that phrase used. Uh, I investigated a case not too many months ago where a lady fell at a restaurant, um, went to an emergency care clinic. They gave her an x-ray, said she was fine. And then two months later, it turned out she'd had a broken pelvis the whole time. So some of these things uh, may look like a slip and fall or a trip and fall, but they turn into medical malpractice. And Mm -hmm. directly related to your question that you asked, most of the time I'm coming to the attorney and saying, why don't you talk with the client a little bit more and, and, and see if you're getting some of the same feelings that I am. And then at that point we're out there asking for some additional testing and, and whatnot that might lead us to a brain injury diagnosis. Well, one of the things, uh, Dave, I was interested in is, uh, the National Brain Injury Association looks like it's a tremendous source for uh, a domestic source, actually. So tell me about that. Well, the NBIA is really the go-to association or, or source, rather, for all things brain injury. So not only does it help people diagnose uh, brain injury symptoms, but people that are now living with reduced capacity, mental capacity, or reduced physical capacity, that is a source, the NBIA is a source for them to go to, to find support groups in their area, find articles about other people that may have been living with some of the same deficits that they are now and it's just really a great source that uh, if, if you know someone that has brain injury or or you want to just you're an investigator an attorney just anybody that's wanting to find out more about this type of, of injury that is the de facto source to go to that's really good information, and and they've actually um, they actually have a definition for traumatic brain injury. Can you tell us about that? They do. I'm actually looking at it 
now by chance, um, the Brain Injury Association defines a brain, a traumatic brain injury as uh, an insult to the brain, uh, not of a degenerative nature. So we're not going to be talking about Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, those types of things, but mm-hmm. rather one caused by an external force that could produce a diminished or altered state of consciousness, which results in an impairment of cognitive abilities or, as I said previously, physical functioning. It can also result in a change in behavior or emotional functioning. And these could be permanent, temporary. They can cause partial or total functional disability or a a social maladjustment. So a lot of times we'll find people that, I don't want to say it's like a 180 on their personality, but sometimes it is that. Sometimes people become somewhat narcissistic or they they don't know how to handle themselves in public anymore. Uh, this is this is really interesting, David. Uh, let's take a quick break for our for our commercial uh, parts of this, and we'll be right back because we want to get into this a little bit more. The internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. 
Indiana, private investigator licensed in Indiana. David Myers is here with me today, and we're talking about traumatic brain and injury cases. So um, this is fascinating because um, the description from the NBIA says a diminished or altered state of consciousness. And let me just throw out here that um, my daughter, when she, at 47 years old, had a stroke. And it turned out that she had bumped her head on the uh, cupboard door above her washing machine. Mm-hmm. That can happen. Yeah, and so and she. And yeah, there was no loss of consciousness, no nothing other than you know what it feels like when you hit your head on a sharp corner. Um, and so it, it is interesting that they say a diminished or altered state of consciousness. Yes, and basically when she hit her head on the on the door there, it's similar to what's happening in a car wreck or slip or trip and fall to where your brain is being accelerated towards the inside of the skull and and actually can make contact and that can do some very minor damage of uh, the meninges uh, and, and basically think of it as taking a little bit of sandpaper to your fingertips and make them rough and uh-huh. that's damage. Um, now that can heal over time uh, but it, it can result in some changes to that person or some physical disabilities in the short term. Well, it, and it's fascinating because in this era of um, football injuries, uh, traumatic brain injuries through contact sports, uh, it's interesting how minor an injury that was that created that problem. So you can imagine if, if you're playing on the football field and you get slammed on your head, even if you have a helmet, how much of a problem that could be. Exactly. And it isn't the first time that uh, I've, I've had this conversation with people that I'm very pleased to see that schools, colleges, the NFL are all now starting to pay attention to this mm-hmm. and developing protocols for if someone takes a hard hit, especially to the head area, that they are thoroughly examined because, again, the the brain making contact with the skull, you may not have any damage or you may have some fairly significant damage. And and it's a repetitive thing that builds up over time uh, to the point where it can become quite severe after multiple concussions. And I was really surprised at... Um, you talk about the scope of the problem. It's really wide-ranging, isn't it? It it is. I I personally believe, and a lot of people I've spoken to about it, believe that it's one of the more under-diagnosed conditions. Um, You know, well, I was involved in a car wreck. I've got headaches now, and, and they're, well, okay, just take some Tylenol or we'll give you some muscle relaxers. And, and, Okay, that's well and good, but I think doctors need to slow down. And uh, of course, that goes back to our healthcare industry now. But I think they need to slow down and, and 
really take a look at this and start running some protocols of their own on people to just rule out some of these things because there's so many things that you can do, physical therapy and, and, and other types of uh, rehabilitative um, methodologies that you can implement if you're properly diagnosed. Mm-hmm. So, David, when you're meeting with someone, what are the kinds of clues you're looking for to identify maybe they might have a brain issue? Well, you know, I'm going to ask them uh, about any short or long-term memory loss. Uh, as I'm asking them questions, I'm, I'm always looking for their ability to process information. Is it what I would call normal or is it slowed? Do they have to really search for, for the answers? Um, and I know that there's a lot about ADHD in the, in the uh, media nowadays, but not so much a diagnosis of ADHD with a brain injury, but do they have trouble concentrating or paying attention? Now, has that always been there? That's mm-hmm. something I've got to ask for that ADHD. Or is this something that has presented itself since the injury? Um, do they have difficulty keeping up with a conversation or uh, finding the proper words? Uh, if they get up, uh, a lot of times if, if I'm seeing some of these signs, I'll ask them for a glass of water or something and I'm watching them. Do they have any spatial disorientation problems uh, or are they able to execute commands or a response to my questions with ease? So uh, then I'll also give them sometimes more than one thing to do at a time. And uh, can, you, can you take a look at this or can you sign this or can you draw me a diagram? Oh, and I also need your insurance card or your... Uh, Medicare card, and and I want to be able to see how easily they can transition back and forth between tasks. And if I start seeing some of these issues, then that's my job to go back to the attorney so they can consider it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, would you also back that up before talking to the attorney? Would you also back that up with interviews with family members or friends and and others? Well, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole if I have not been sent out specifically to do that. So a lot of times if I do have these concerns and I go back to the attorney and at some point they will then come back to me and say, I think you're right, or we've had the, the client of evaluated and there is some sort of a cognitive deficit or physical deficit there. Um, So now we need to, as we prepare for trial or we prepare to, to make a demand of the insurance company at that point, then yes, I would be sent back out uh, or sometimes a professional videographer will be sent out with the attorney who will do the questioning and obtain statements as to, oh, what were they like before the, the injury? 
and talk to me about their job performance. Talk to me about a typical day in their life. What made them happy? What made them sad or down? And, and now, how are they? Um, and, and we're looking for changes and the severity of those changes. So what kind of cases would you have started out with that you identified possible traumatic brain injury? Where did the case start? Was it a, like a car accident or a, a fall or something like I would, that? I would say car, car accidents are generally one of the leading sources. Uh, I, would, I would say almost 50% of the brain injury cases that I've been involved in start with a, a motor vehicle collision of, of some sort. But we've also got uh, bicyclists that are either hit by a vehicle or have to ditch the bike and they end up taking a a hit to the head, Um, closely followed motorcyclists. Um, I had a case many years ago, uh, motorcyclist, uh, she was a scientist making mid-six figures and and now she can't tie her shoes. Um, So, uh, yeah, it's... Very sad, some of these cases, but any, any type of accident that involves a serious blow to the head or, or those types of issues are going to be prime candidates to, to be looked at for a brain injury. And how many times, Dave, are these not uh, caught or dealt with by the medical community? Well... I find that a lot of times when the patient comes in to the hospital settings and are brought there by the paramedics, they'll, they'll always be the zero LOC for zero loss of consciousness or no loss of consciousness or the oriented X3 for oriented times three uh, person, place, time. And the paramedics really don't have time or the mm-hmm. training to mm-hmm. properly assess someone for brain injury. So they're, they're looking for very generalized orientation or uh, talking to a witness. Was the person unconscious when you found them? So... The problem with that is the person may have woken up before they were found or woken up as they were found, or the witnesses may not know if the person lost consciousness. So now when we get to the hospital or the medical facility, is that doctor really thinking big picture or do, are they going with no loss of consciousness oriented times three if the patient's talking and they're not showing any deficits, the doctor probably isn't going to, to continue down this road much. But some of these deficits can take a while to present themselves. I was going to, yeah. And that's, go ahead. Go, no, go ahead. I was going to ask that question. Good. They, they can. They, they, they may present themselves three, four, five days later, two, three weeks later. Uh, it, it depends on 
what type of damage was caused, is that damage getting worse, uh, is there a small bleed in the brain because there was a brain injury, and it's not until a week, two, three weeks later that now we have some major cognitive or physical dysfunctions or perhaps even a coma or death, and now you have to go all the way back to where could that person have had that injury. So there are cases I've gotten that it's, it's a death case, and the autopsy showed some damage to the brain. Mm-hmm. Well, now it's more or less my job to, uh, as, as hired by the attorney that's representing the family, to go back and look at every day backwards until I find something, if I can, that might lead us to believe that there was a brain injury. And again, half the time it's a it's an automobile wreck. But sometimes someone will make an off comment. Oh, yeah, I, I tripped and bumped my head, or I I slid down the last few stairs, or something like that, and bumped my head. And the family member takes that as an off offhanded comment, but mm-hmm. that can then lead us where we need to go. Interesting, and I suspect that there's often many times where somebody doesn't even realize they've lost consciousness. Maybe it was just momentarily and the paramedics or whoever um, they were involved with didn't even know they lost consciousness. Absolutely. And I was involved in a, in a wreck. I hit the steering wheel, uh, bent the entire top of it over with my forehead, and a couple people said that you you seemed very dazed for for several minutes and turned out I didn't have a brain injury but are you in somewhat of a twilight state between actual loss of consciousness and being fully aware and cognizant of your surroundings so that's where you may have a mild traumatic brain injury versus a, a truly traumatic brain injury So we've even got to be aware of and look for those times where there maybe wasn't a true loss of consciousness, but they were darn close, and then proceed from there. Yeah, so so then, um, so once the attorney has, you you identified it, you've gone to the attorney, they're saying, yes, go forward, and... and, uh, do your work, what do you do next? Well, if, if they've instructed me to go out and take care of the interviews of the family, friends, coworkers, I'm going to be asking a lot of the same questions that a neuropsychologist might be looking to ask or to receive information about. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to really focus around attention and concentration, um, motor functioning, speech and language abilities of the person, uh, perceptual and sensory functioning. Um, is their speech and, and language ability the same now as it was? If it's not, um, what's going on there, and how affected are they? 
mm-hmm. and their overall intellectual level. I mean, were they on a Ph.D. level, and now they're at a kindergarten level, or are they at a normal functioning adult, and now they're, they're not? Um, it's very, the brain is so complex, and there's so much of it we still don't understand, so there can be some profound changes in personality and memory and, and learning. I mean, does it take them... 10 times of doing something just to, to learn something simple perhaps and they still haven't got it learned or mm-hmm. maybe they were told something a few minutes before or a day or two before and now they've lost it. Uh, although my wife tells me that all the time so maybe I do have a brain injury there. Um, and, and you know, a lot of it... I'm sorry? I said it's all in your perspective. <laughs> Yes, yes, that's true. That's true. And and then the last major area is going to be the emotion and the personality of the person. Are they no longer that happy-go-lucky person they used to be? Um, Or are they more narcissistic now? Are they just open and lost all the inhibitions? You know, you hear a lot of times people getting scammed, you know, they're scamming the elderly. A lot of times that's because those folks are lonely. Well, in someone who has a TBI or a a mild traumatic brain injury, Mm -hmm. they may have that same openness and and lack of barriers just for that reason as opposed to being lonely. Interesting. Well, this time to take another break, David. We'll come back to this. It's uh, fascinating. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Talking with Dave Myers from Indiana, a private investigator, and we're talking about investigating brain injury cases. So, um, David, I'm just curious if you have some uh, unusual cases or unusual incidents with cases that that you'd like to share with us. Well, a couple tragic cases uh, besides the the lady on the motorcycle. There was uh, two cases involving swimming pools to where one, uh, one pool didn't have a grate on the intake from the pool into the filter and uh, a young girl uh, was swimming underwater and actually got sucked uh, close to the pipe and her head got uh, against that pipe and she ended up being underwater for so long she had a brain injury from that. Uh, I was able to utilize my scuba diving hobby to, to get down there and, and take underwater nice. photographs <laughs> and video. So I never thought that would come into play, but it did. But, um, and, and another swimming pool case, both of them it revolved around lack of attention to, to detail. Uh, and then I guess one of the other cases that somewhat interesting, all of our vehicles, or at least vast majority of them now have pinch protection when you're rolling up your window and it, it meets some resistance, the window will stop and go back down. Uh, brain injury case, I'd worked uh, back in the 90s. Uh, mother was carrying in groceries to and from the car and her back hatchback, uh, you put the key in, you could turn it left or right and it would uh, roll down the window if you held it or roll up the window if you held it turned the other direction. And a young girl, her young daughter, was playing, going in and out of that back hatchback, and uh, she rested her knee up against the key, and the the window went up and trapped her, uh, caught her on the neck, and cut off her airway. And so that was uh, brain injury by anoxia, uh, lack of oxygen to the Mm -hmm. brain. And as we all know, those are are some of the most devastating. And she did end up passing away from that. But uh, it came down to, I think, less than 20 cents for the part that would have prevented that. Uh, So now that has become standard in, I would say, all new vehicles out there. It's been standard for years. So uh, sometimes the cases can be rewarding uh, to to see an industry change because of uh, an injury. um, Exactly. But the swimming pool case. I'm sorry. um, She was, I think, four or five. And the, the swimming pool with the missing grate over the intake pipe, she was maybe about eight or nine. Mm. And, uh, you know, the other swimming pool case was the same. Uh, and, and those 
two of the girls died. The one that was just underwater for too long while the 16-year-old lifeguards were, were out listening to music instead of doing their job. They, she lived, but unfortunately, she's going to, uh, she's in a vegetative state and she needs lifelong care. And that's where if you don't have enough insurance, against one or more defendants, you can really run into some long-term care issues. Right, right, for sure. And then, and I'm curious, how does policy limits play into this when it's a car accident? Well, some states have very minor limits. I believe in here in Indiana, the, the lowest amount is 25000 I just did a semi-truck case where it just blew right through an intersection and a couple of days before Christmas of last year, and uh, uh, the, the mother is still in a coma with, with brain injury, and truck only had $750,000 of liability coverage. Mm-hmm. Now, I do a lot of trucking investigations, and a lot of times the the load is insured by someone, the trailer is insured by someone, the uh, semi-tractor is insured by someone. So there can be multiple sources of insurance, but if you're dealing with a company that owns its rigs and just hauls, in this case, scrap metal, uh, there was only one insurance to go after. So it becomes very sad and frustrating to see that the family is going to be struggling the rest of their lives because someone didn't go out and get themselves properly insured. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I always tell people is to make sure you have underinsured motorist coverage uh, because if the person that hit you and harmed you doesn't have the insurance coverage you need, your policy can come into play. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so at what point, Dave, in your uh, process here, do you start gathering records, and what kind of records are those? Well, once we get the initial work done, and if we need to start, uh, the attorney wants me to start doing that for him. Sometimes the paralegals do it. Sometimes different attorneys will have me do it. Uh, need a HIPAA release from the next of kin. And then at that point, I like to go out and get, if we're talking about a change in personality, uh, I like to get work records. Uh, Was the person a a really good worker and now suddenly they've been fired or or laid off, whatever it may be. I want want those work records. Uh, If we're dealing with someone in school, obviously, what are their grades before and after the, the brain injury? Um, we need to establish, certainly in, in many cases, not just brain injuries, but especially brain injuries too, is we need to establish no prior medical conditions that would emulate or be responsible for the current condition of the client. Mm-hmm. You know, we can, let's say someone has a back injury, they get into a car wreck, that car wreck may make that back injury worse. It may not, but the defense attorneys are going to jump on that right off the bat. 
sure. and and try to mitigate their liability uh, of the of their insured by saying, oh no, that's that's been exacerbated by a pre-existing condition, and well, okay, that's my job, the attorney's job, to prove that that's not the case, and we do that. Um, by getting those records, as well as a criminal history on our own client. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to make sure that they weren't using mind-altering drugs or they, they weren't a heavy meth user, for example, anything that, that may have caused a degeneration. Uh, the, the injury may have made it worse, but we need to know if there is truly a pre-existing condition that we do need to be concerned about. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, what kinds of uh, interesting enough? What kinds of changes in personality have you seen? A lot of the times, it's the trouble concentrating. The oh, you'll you'll have them say just completely inappropriate things at at times that they shouldn't. Um, they're, they're maybe not as polite and nice to people. It's really, I guess, it's a slippery slope when I say I'll compare it to alcohol because there's a lot of differences. But alcohol reduces your inhibitions, and brain injuries can do that too. So you might have someone become a little more reckless than they would normally. Uh, they, again, may say and, and act in ways that they would not normally have. I think those are a lot of the, the more common things. Uh, but then on the other spectrum there, you, you have people that may just retreat into themselves, and now they're dealing with severe depression when they used to be a happy-go-lucky type of person, um, and, and then they close themselves off to friends and family and become isolated and and that's really when it's, it's sad to see that, uh, especially if the person was the breadwinner for the family, because now someone else's negligence or perhaps just a simple accident, uh, a trip and fall or something, is now affected not only that person, but the entire family. How are they going to meet their bills? How are they going to send the kids to school? So these attorneys that handle these cases, all of them are out there to protect not only the long-term care and rehabilitation of the injured party, but we need to maybe establish some money for the kids to go to school or maybe an annuity or something to to help out with monthly payments. Right. And have you ever run into anybody that had a a brain injury that – now they have a photographic memory, a didactic memory? You know, I haven't personally, but I have heard from some attorneys that they've had interesting clients like that over the years. Um, some of these guys have been practicing for, uh, uh, well, let's just say going back to when I was in grade school. <laughs> but, uh, <Okay. laughs> you, know, you know, we all hear about, I'm sorry. I said only yesterday. Only yesterday. Yeah. Yes. Um, You know, we've heard different things over the years about people having hit their head and now they can speak another language or something. 
Um, I'm not, yeah. to my knowledge, had a client with something like that. But I have had clients who've told me, yes, uh, now the person is very detail-oriented. They they seem to to be able to recall things that, yeah. for example, uh, we would normally forget, what would you have for lunch six months ago on a three-day the fourth type right. of things? Um, so it, it isn't always damage per se that is negative there can mm-hmm. be some positive things but normally it's it's a deficit of, of some kind well dave we're almost out of time i don't i want i want to make sure you have a moment here to give uh folks a way to contact you your website or or something if if you'd like to talk somebody'd like to talk to you about this issue sure i appreciate that. it uh the the best way to get me is uh, through my website or my email address. It's uh, Myers, M-Y-E-R-S-P-I, like private investigator, dot com. And then uh, email is dmyers at myerspi.com. And I'm I'm happy to help out anyone with whether it's a brain injury case or any type of civil investigation case, or maybe they just got to question about, uh, you know, how can I become a more successful full-time investigator? I'm happy to talk to them about that. Okay. So I want to, before we leave, because we're almost out of time, uh, one of the things that you recommended is investigating the background of the defense doctor. And I can't get into it because we're out of time, but uh, I really thank you so much, David, for being on the show today. And for the rest of you, it's PIs Declassified. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 